Good evening, everybody, and uh, a warm welcome to tonight. And thank you, Charles and Renee, for having me speak the word of the Lord to you tonight. Amen. And um, this evening, we're going to focus on aspects of leadership, and that is very close to my heart. And um, I know that um, you've been focusing on sonship, and I think moving into the grace of Christ. And Matthew's been dealing with that, with that topic. And um, Charles asked me to address leaders and the congregation and those that would come tonight in reference to leadership. And um, it's a matter that's close to my heart and something that um, I have been writing about recently and studying. I'm busy with a manual. It's, calling, called, it's called Accessing Grace Through Strong Support for Your Leader for your spiritual leader. And um, the Lord has unveiled to my mind from various contexts in the Bible, various principles that make for strong leadership. Now, you know that God calls a man and he does his purposes through that man. God always needs a man. For example, the scripture says, I sought for a man and I found none to stand in the gap. Okay, God is incorporeal, God is invisible, God is not man, God is not flesh, but he needs to work in an earth-based context, time-space reality, in which matter is involved, and he needs humans to act as agencies on his behalf. So in matters referable to his core purposes, everyone say core purposes, He will elect to use a man or woman as a leader in a leadership function or capacity to steer like a captain would steer a ship, to lead aspects of purposes that are his, but that are corporate in nature for the earth. It is incumbent upon anybody in a particular context, particularly, for example, a church context, to understand this. And to realize that not everybody can lead. Only one can lead. The one that God has chosen will lead others. And others must. Others must follow. The strength with which that person leads will be contingent upon a whole lot of factors. And the the success that they will achieve will be determined, yes, by their own personage, by the kind of people they are, their own diligence, their own commitment, their own accessing of the grace of God to lead in the function that God has called him to, right? But then also, secondarily, it will be contingent upon the mentality of everybody else that they lead to make their leadership function far more easier and more efficient. Now, that is my focus tonight. I'm addressing the followers to make the function of the leader far more easier, efficient, and successful. Now, every leader, or let me just say this before I continue, everybody can hear God. We are all equal before God. God doesn't favor one above the other. But for matters of the execution of purpose, referable to a corporate company, he always needs someone 
through whom he will communicate to the rest of the group. You can all hear God for general things, but for aspects of direction of purpose regarding the corporate company and aspects of his eternal will or key aspects thereof, he will need a man, an individual or woman, to direct and lead, shape and form his purposes. He will not come and speak to everybody individually about those matters. He will speak to the person who will communicate to the group. The group must be convinced this man is called of God, is put by God over us in Christ. Paul says, remember those in Hebrews 13 and verse 7 and Hebrews 13, 17. In fact, let's start there. Hebrews 13, 7. Everyone say 13, 7. And say 13, 17 are two very, very important chapters in regards to leadership. I don't want to teach on these verses tonight, but I'm just sensing the Spirit wants us to re- refer to them and reference them. Say it again, 13.7 and 13.17. 13.7 says, in fact, if you look at 13.17 first, it says, obey those who have the rule over you. Everyone say, over you. Over Does this scripture not imply there needs to be someone over you? Yeah? Yes, it, it implies there is someone over you in Christ. So there is someone that should be over you in the Lord. Obey your leaders, submit to them. Right? They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that they will, their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to, to you. So there are people that God has placed over you in Christ. Then look at 13.7. Remember your leaders who spoke to you the, the word of God. Everyone say leaders. So how do we lead? What do we do? We speak what? We speak words of God. Nobody is a leader that does not speak words from God. Leaders, by definition, speak on behalf of God and speak the words of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. When must you imitate the faith of your leader? After you've heard their words? No. Hear their words? Yes. But make sure that you've investigated their way of life And if you find their way of life matches their words, you're biblically required to imitate their faith. Okay? So everybody needs somebody. Over you in, in Christ. In the book of Numbers, if you go there, in Numbers 27 and verse 15, Numbers 27 and verse 15, concerning Moses and God's instruction to him, in, the, in reference to Joshua, who will take over after him, it says the following, Then Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community. Everyone say, appoint a man. So there's a corporate company. God wants a man over the company. The King James says, let the Lord God set a man. Here we get the concept, set man. Okay? The appointed individual that God has to lead a particular group of people to a desired end. 
That's what leaders do. Leaders take you from point A to point B. There's a process of movement and there's a process of migration. And somebody needs to go ahead like a pioneer to not only um, secure the place to which he desires to take the people, but that by his life he must demonstrate that he himself has arrived there. Okay? The people are then required to, to follow. So, may the Lord, the God of all spirits, of all mankind, appoint a man over this community, the next verse, to do what? To go out and to come in be before them. The one who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a, without a shepherd. He is the good shepherd, but he shepherds people representatively through human agencies called shepherds, spiritual shepherds, elders or spiritual fathers that would shepherd the people on behalf of he, the good shepherd. Okay? On behalf of he, the good shepherd. So leadership is very, very, very important. Without it, the purposes of the Lord do not really move. God requires leadership. Things rise or fall depending on the state of the leadership. Things advance or they retrogress dependent on the leader first and then secondly, his second tier leadership team. Okay. Now I want to demonstrate to you how Moses felt when he thought about this task and the hopelessness that filled his heart. When he realized, wow, the serious nature of this responsibility. If that is the case, this, this man, mighty man Moses said, I want out. <laughs> not for me. Somebody else, definitely not me. So let's read the case study. Tonight we're going to do a case study, okay? And um, I first heard Pastor Thamon Naidu, who is my spiritual father in Christ, teach this in 2002. It was going way back, right? <laughs> At an apostolic school in 2002. I will never forget this message. So I'm relaying to you a message that has been matured and incubated in my heart for like 16 years. You're getting mature wine now. <laughs> this thing has been brewing. I've rehearsed this. I've taught aspects of it here and there. And uh, when I was writing this, the Lord reminded me to write a chapter on this, on this issue. So I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 11. So I want to acknowledge Pastor Thamo because the kernel thoughts of what I'm about to present to you come from revelation that God has given him. But I want to present it in a fashion that's slightly different but without losing the truth of what was conveyed. Now, Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1 to 25. Numbers chapter 11. And verse 1 to 25. Now I'm going to read the scriptures as a witness. And as I read this text, and I pray that the grace of the Lord will be your portion. Please listen to me. Whether you yourself are a leader in some capacity within the local church is not the issue. Whether you're just a member, you're a follower of Charles and Renee in this particular local church. Um, or if you're here with Pastor Amos and you, you're there. No matter what capacity you are in reference to leadership, 
whether you're an appointed leader or not, these principles apply to the whole church. If everybody in the church can catch this, you're going to make not just the task of the leader more easier. Listen, in making the task of the leader more, the leader more easier, what are you ensuring? That God's purposes be done for the group. Not so? Everyone say the purposes of the Lord. That's our priority, that God's purpose be done. And if in the arrangement that God has set up, the structure, a leader, with second-tier leaders and people following, that's the order of things, then I don't mind supporting that if that's going to get things done in reference to God's will. You're not supporting a man. You're supporting the purposes of the Lord given to him to steward. Yeah? Everyone say, let God's will be done. That's my focus, that God's will be done if in the arrangement that He set up for that will to be facilitated, to be done, I don't mind supporting that so long as at the end of the day the will of the Lord is accomplished. Amen? That's our focus. So Moses is called as a leader of God's people. Take them out of Egypt and bring them into, the, into Canaan. That was the original plan. And look what he, he laments in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. <clears throat> do we have the NASB? We don't. NASB. We do? Yeah. Now the people, you can follow, I'll just read my notes. Now the people became like those who complain in adversity. Anybody can witness here? <laughs> The people became like those who complain in adversity. There's nothing that can make the task of leadership more difficult than the complaint of people. Okay? Maybe we should pray for you now. <laughs> right? In the hearing of the Lord, watch, and when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. God was angry with the spirit of complaint. And God just killed people. Just like one time. Right? The people therefore cried out to Moses. And Moses prayed to the Lord. And the, the, the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Tabera. Because the fire of the Lord burned among them. The rabble. Now, the rabble were those, the, the term rabble is a term that is used to describe a group of people that accompanied Israel at the moment they left Egypt. On the night of the Exodus, when they left Egypt, the Bible says, and the rabble went with them. It's like rabble, right? It's like worthless people, not Israelites, but came along with a ride. If you track the influence of the rabble on Israel, it was a negative influence in their migration. Okay? And it says the rabble were among them who had, everyone say greedy desires. Eh? Greedy desires and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? Remember they were dissatisfied with manna and they wanted meat. You know who incited that desire? A group of people called the rabble. Right? And then it says, We remember the fish which we... From Snookies. <laughs> we remember the fish we used to eat free 
in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. And there is nothing at all to look except this manna. So what they are despising God's provision. And they want to satisfy an alternative appetite. Not set or required by the Lord. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of dilim. And the people would go out and gather it and grind it between two millstones or beat it in water, boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. And the taste was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families. Imagine weeping for meat. Each man at his doorway of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. What I want you in this study to pitch into is the emotion of a leader and the things the individual has to contend and bear with in leading people. Notice the state of Moses' heart and mind. The people are complaining they despise the Lord's provision. And Moses is displeased because God's anger is raised up against the people. He is displeased because they complain. And he is displeased because he knows how God will deal with this group. God's anger is reaching boiling points, And he knows there's, there's nothing but certain death that's going to await these people. Moses said to the Lord, so Moses talks to the Lord, right? doesn't talk to the people. If you only listen into the private conversations of a leader with his God, <laughs> concerning the people <laughs> that the Lord has given him to lead, it'll be interesting. Now, okay. Are you all ready to peek in on Moses? The conversations with God about the, the, the people God has called him to, to lead. Right? So, verse 11. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard on your servant? Check Moses. He said, Lord, this is you and me. Leave the people out. Why are you so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you've laid the burden of all of these people on me? Was it I who conceived all these people? Huh? Not my people. God said, mostly not my people, your people. So I mean, and he's saying, was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom like a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all of these people? They weep before me saying, give us meat that we might eat. I alone am not able to carry all these people because it is too burdensome for me. I think every leader has been here. Every leader has come here. When he wants, this is like Moses wants out. Right? This is too much. I can't handle this. Too much to bear. So, he says in verse 15, If you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me now. At once, if I have found favor in your sight, 
Do not let me see my wretchedness. He's saying to God, if you're not going to help me, someone kill me right now. If you're not going to get me out of this one, if you're not going to aid me, if you're not going to dispense grace, give me a solution to my leadership issue, take me out. I'm not prepared to go on like this. So what's God's answer? Verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, gather 70 men. Everyone say 70. Gather to me, for me, 70 men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and the officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand with you there. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take the spirit which is upon you, and I will put it on them. They will bear the burden of the people with you, that you do not bear it alone. Okay? Now, from verse 18, I won't read from verse 18 onwards, there's instructions given for the people to consecrate themselves and to bring uh, sacrifice to the Lord. Go down to verse 24. You'll see Moses' obedience. So Moses went out and he told the people all the words of the Lord. Also he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and he stationed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him. And the Lord took the spirit who was upon him and placed it on 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. Now, this is a very, very important uh, passage for leaders. Now, I'm going to speak to you about the need for substitutionary representation. So you have a leader, but he needs, the leader needs, substitutionary representation. In other words, he needs others to act on his behalf as his substitute, but to represent him fully as they substitute for him. Everyone says substitutionary representation. It's not substitutionary displacement. You don't get the wrong idea. You're not substituting to displacing. Maybe the word substitution is not, is not correct. But it's substitutionary because of its intent to represent. Okay? Of its intent to, to represent. Now, notice what he says in verse 17. Um, sorry, verse 14. I am not alone... I alone am not able to carry all these people because it is too burdensome. Everyone say too burdensome. And look at verse 17. God says, I will come down and speak with you. I will take the spirit that's on you. I will put it on them, the 70, and they will bear the burden. Everyone say bear the burden. So there's a load to be carried. And God says, Moses says, I can't do it alone. So God is saying to Moses, I'm going to give you a certain caliber of people that carry the load with you. Because I can see they're going to kill you. Right? How many were, was he leading, by the way? How many people? At least initially 600,000. Okay? As they journeyed, I think about they ended up more than in excess of 2 million. Right? Through growth, etc. Okay? Who would like to lead a group of people? 6 million plus. So you can understand Moses' frustration, right? Me handling it at church of about a hundred is killing me already. <laughs> Moses, my gosh. 
he must have been a great man. I have great respect for the leader Moses. I mean, would like that task. And you're not sitting in an air-conditioned building. You're in a desert leading the people. In a tent, yeah. <laughs> it's harsh conditions. And you have to contend with complaint after complaint as you take them from A to B. And this is affecting you so much. And the burden so overwhelms him, he almost becomes suicide. God, if you're not going to help me now, take me out right now. Not one more day of this. God's answer is choose 70 men to bear the burden with you so that you don't bear it alone. Let me just say this. Every leader biblically, every one of them, had a strong second-tier support structure. There was a group of people around the leader that made that leader successful. There's no leader in the Bible that was ever successful based upon his own efforts, his own endowment, his own grace configuration. Yes, all of those things are necessary, but every single one of them had a strong support. Everyone say strong support. Every one of them had strong support in the immediate circle of relationships. Even Jesus had Peter, James, and John. And then he had the other nine. Then he had the 70. Okay. Even he had, remember he called Peter, James, and John to pray with him. They all went to the garden of Gethsemane to pray before the cross. But the Bible says he left the eight. Okay, Judas had just left to go betray him. There's 11 guys left. The Bible says he left the eight at the entrance to the garden. And he said to three, come a little further with me and you watch with me. Jesus did not even place an expectation on everybody to pray for him and with him. But he did have an, have an expectation on the, the three that were closest to him. And I want to encourage you to start to think supportively. Think and to upgrade the levels of support that you offer to make the burden of bearing the people that your leader leads easier. Okay? You can make his task easier. You can lighten the burden or you can make the burden heavier. I certainly hope there's none of you here that are making the burden heavier. But every one of you should make the burden lighter. I wish we had time to speak about the blessings that will come to you because of this. The Bible does speak of many blessings that come to those and grace that come to those that provide strong support to the one they lead. Let me ask you this. Is it not in your best interest that your leader be strong? Yes, Yes, because if your leaders compromise in any way, you are compromised. And the purposes of the Lord attendant with the group possibly forfeited, right? So it's very, very important that you arm yourself with this thinking. I might not be the leader. I might not even hold any leadership position in the church. I might just be an ordinary member. But I am going to be the greatest supporter I know. I'm going to put shoulder to the plow. I'm going to bear the burden that he carries. That burden is going to become my burden. Now, you can't have that mentality if you are going to become a burden. You must not yourself be the burden that he carries. Otherwise, carry yourself. <laughs> right? 
Okay. <clears throat> in other words, you must be low maintenance. Become a low maintenance person. Okay. Many people found the pastor for everything. Pastor, pastor, pastor. Grow up. Tell someone, grow up. Listen, you will always... You will always need Him and He will always love you and always be there for, always be there for you. But the demand is to mature so that you are not part of the group that provides headaches for the leader. You are part of the panados, the microdolls in the church. You are part of the relieving agency that makes the task easier, that makes the task lighter that makes the task of leadership a joy. There's nothing like it can bring joy to a leader than strong support structures around him. You know, for me, when I come to church, there are certain people, I can just see them there and doing what they are doing and already like weights are off my shoulders. Right? Other people, <laughs> I see and wow, I just get heavy immediately. <laughs> It's like weights on. Okay? But I really want to encourage us all just to position ourselves. You must make up your mind tonight. I'm going to be the greatest support that there is. The word bear in number 17, 1117, where it says bear the burden of the people. The word bear is to bear up, is NASA. Everyone say NASA. It's like NASA, NASA, you pronounce NASA or NASA. NASA literally means this. <clears throat> To lift up. Everyone say lift up. Right? Say support. Say sustain. Say aid. Say assist. Say bear up consistently. That's what the word Nasa means. To bear the burden implies a consistency of support. Not now and then. It's not something you enter in and out of. It's you like this one week, you're not like that the next week. There's a consistency of disposition that this person that is nasaring, bearing, this person has it all the time. Okay? So, God, Moses is called by God to bear the, the people. It implies if you bear something, you sustain, you support... In the Hebrew, the word nasa means literally to elevate or to pick up. Right? So literally when you bear people, the burden is bearing people, you lift them up from a lower elevation to a higher elevation. You're raising people up in every respect. For us, it's the nature of Christ. We're growing all people up into the, into the nature of Christ. That's where we're taking people. We want to see our people more like Christ, growing up to full maturity in their, in their sonship in God. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 and 21, listen carefully to what Paul said about Timothy. Philippians 2, 19 to 21. He said, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So Paul couldn't go to Philippi, but everyone say substitute. Someone's going to substitute for him, but in the substitute of him, represent him accurately, right? 
So I can't come, but what I will do is I will send Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send you Timothy shortly, that he that I might be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So Timothy will obviously report back to, to Paul. Then in verse 20 he says, I have no one of I have no one else of kindred spirit. Everyone say kindred spirit. Now Paul makes an amazing claim here. Uh, just put the King James, if you can switch to King James just for a moment. The same, um, right? I have, no one, I have no man like-minded, right? The Greek is isosukos. Iso means the same, as you know. Isosometric, etc. The same, iso means the same. Sukos is psych or manner of thinking, the psychology of the person. The Greek term isosukos is one that thinks exactly like me. So Paul says, I cannot come, but I'll send Timothy, because Timothy's mind functions just like my mind. So in receiving him, you'll be receiving me, because he accurately represents me. But I like the, 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 the NASB, if you can go back there, the NASB framing says, of kindred spirits. What Paul is really saying is, He can think like me in the way he does, because in spirit quality, Timothy is exactly like me. In his spirit, that conditions the mind of the soul. Got the same spirit as me. That's a profound statement to make. That's where every leader wants to get followers. That has the same spirit as him, like-minded. Particularly second-tier leaders. Those, Those that are the closest to the leader should be the most like-minded as the leader. This must be your cry. This must be your objective. It's been my uh, ambition in reference to my spiritual father for years now. Very often I would be facing with a counseling situation for which I might feel out of my depth. And so when the situation is presented, you know, sometimes I think, I literally say this sometimes, how would Pastor Thamo address this? What would he say if he were here? And I try to function in the grace and wisdom that is his. But because I'm his spiritual son and I'm connected, I find that that grace flows. And I start to operate at a level for which I naturally might not be qualified for. But by virtue of my heart. Everyone say your heart. Let me say this. If your heart is right... Your leader's, your leader's capacity becomes yours. Timothy can't come as I'll send. So Paul can't go, but I will send Timothy. In sending Timothy, Paul is saying, it's like I'm coming personally. But someone's going to substitutionary, in, in a substitutionary manner, represent me as he comes. So in receiving him, you will be receiving me. And all the possibilities attended with my grace are vested in Timothy. Okay, look at the next verse. Um, wow, just look at this quickly. I have no one of kindred spirit who will, everyone say genuine concern. It says genuinely be concerned for your welfare. So you see, listen carefully. Paul does not send someone with their own personal ambition. Some of them want to build their own thing, do their own empire. Build their own empire, right? What is Timothy's focus? Welfare of the people. Everyone say welfare of the people. What is Moses' concern? Bear the 
people. Let me just say this to you. If you love people, and if you can develop a genuine wealth concern for the welfare of people, God will give you leadership grace. Because a leader by definition does not exist for himself. He exists for the benefit of others. And let me just say this. You might not be the set man or the man appointed. Charles and Renee are in this context. But if you can say, I am going to, from tonight onwards, I'm going to adopt a genuine concern for the welfare of the brothers. Then what you're going to find is, you will be eligible as a candidate for God to offload grace within your heart so that you can function representatively of Charles and Renee in how they manage the purposes of the Lord for this congregation. Grace will come to you that will hugely bless you. Hugely bless you. In the next verse he says, All else... They all, the other guys, they seek their own interests and not those of, of Christ Jesus. Okay? Not those of, of Christ Jesus. If you go back to Numbers 11, what did Moses say? Look at verse 12. Moses said in verse 12, Was it I who conceived? I know I like this. Says <laughs> God, you know, I read my own things into these things. When I read this, I say, he's saying to God, let's get something right here, God. There's something I want to establish with you. These people are not mine. This is your group. <laughs> this is your inheritance. You put me here to manage them. No, fine. But let's get something out of the way. This is your representation at stake. Watch. What is it? This is your reputation at stake. These guys are messing up your image. And, and, and I'm misrepresenting all that you are. So what he's saying subtly is, it's not my honor that's at risk here. God, it's everything about your name, your nature, your glory, your honor that stands to be aborted here. Right? So he starts to sort of talk to God conversantly. And he says, oh, did I conceive these people? No, yours, that's not me. Right? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say? Now, what did God say to him? God did say to them, carry them where? In your bosom. As a nurse carries, as a, nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which I swore to their fathers. Now, this is what leaders do. If you don't know what leaders do, leaders carry people in their bosoms. That is why leaders get so affected by people. Because we are not detached from those we lead. We carry as part of our beings people within us. Right? Someone once said, Jonathan David took at a conference, he had a hammer. And he put his hand on the, on the desk, the podium. And he had this heavy, I don't know, huge hammer. And he says, I'm going I'm to give you a revelation. <laughs> so he says, with all my might, I'm going to whack my fingers before him. And he almost did it. We all like anticipate, oh, don't do it. We just illustrate, you know. And he almost did it. And he says, if you do that and you don't hurt, you know what the revelation is? It's not your finger. <laughs> 
you've hit somebody else's finger. But, he said, that's why a leader will never deliberately hurt and injure his own people. Because in hurting his own people, he hurts himself. Because he never sees his people as divorced from him. Okay? He always functions for their betterment. Always functions for their welfare. Okay? Sometimes, and Charles and Renee and Pastor Amos here will tell you, um, when people act dishonorably, those that you lead, it can cause tremendous hurt emotionally to a leader. Because people act flippantly and walk away, but they don't know the level of your commitment to them. Right? And they sometimes disparage and dishonor that disposition by treating their commitment to you lightly. Okay? And so it's very, very important you, under, you understand this. I want to encourage you, if you're going to lead anything, you're going to carry people. And some of them are heavy. <laughs> I'm not talking physical. I'm talking it's difficult to manage some people. You, you, you're not divorced from those you lead. You literally carry them as a serious burden within your heart because you want the better for them. Amen? He who leads for himself is no leader at all. But he who leads for the benefit of those led is a leader sent by God. We lead for your, we lead for your betterment. The word bosom, everyone say bosom. Okay. It's kake. Okay. Everyone say kake. <laughs> Not kaka. <laughs> it's K-H-A-K-E. Okay. Kake. Everyone say kake. Kake literally means with this word, um, Numbers eleven seventeen. carry them in my bosom. It literally means to enclose someone or to envelop. So Moses is saying, God, this is what you put me. You put me to embrace these people within me and I've enclosed them and they're now part of me. And I cannot extricate them or separate them from, from myself or them from, from me. You know, there's a beautiful verse. I can't remember where it's found. It's found in Philemon. It's only one chapter, so there must be only one chapter in Philemon, right? So it's in there somewhere. When Paul said this about sending Onesimus back to, was it? Yeah, Onesimus back to Philemon. Remember, Onesimus was a runaway slave. And he ran away from his boss, his employee, employer, Philemon, and he's in, in his flight. He encounters Paul in Rome and he gets converted and he becomes a spiritual son to Paul. So Paul says this, I am sending, he says this to Philemon, I am sending him back to you as though I am sending my very own heart. So receive him as such. So Paul says, I cannot separate Onesimus from my own heart. So Philemon, Philemon, know this. That in receiving back Onesimus, you're receiving the heart of Paul. There's another lesson in that. A spiritual father should never send a son unless he's willing to send his heart. A spiritual father should never send a son unless that son is representative of the heart of the father. There are many principles to learn from that one singular statement. Amen. Tell your neighbor, have your leader's heart. Yeah. 
Be like Timothy. He was like-minded. He had Paul's spirit. Have your leader's heart. Okay? Have your leader's heart. In Proverbs 6 verse 27, it says, Can a man carry fire in his bosom and his clothes do not get burned? You know the scripture, well known. Can a man carry fire in his bosom and not be, be burned? I mean, this simply illustrates the intense feeling of the term full of bosom that it denotes. Intensity of emotion, intensity of heart, intensity of, of feeling. Isaiah 40 verse 11 says the following, Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms, he will gather the lambs and carry them where? In his bosom. And notice it's a shepherding function. It's a leading function. And the shepherd or the leader must carry them where? In his, in his bosom. Philippians, look at Paul's heart here in Philippians. You will see this clearly. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says the following. Watch. I am confident of this very thing that he who begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And in the next verse, a lot of people know that verse, right? I hear it quoted in every church. I am confident you will perfect. But they don't read the next verse, right? The next verse says, It is only right for me to do what? If you don't feel nothing, you lead nothing. A leader is not feeling less. He's not unemotional. Because he's in touch with people and he feels certain things. That's why impacts of, for example, when people leave unwarrantedly, or when people leave in a bad manner, that hurts a leader. I'm telling you, I've been there many times. The one time it took me six to eight months to recover. The person can walk away like nothing happened. Because of their but because you have devoted and embraced that person in your bosom, and then to cut off, wow, can leave a serious injury. I've learned from these positions how to deal with that. I've matured. Right? It takes me now about 15 minutes and I'm over it. So, I've got no time to waste eight months. No, not again. <laughs> I, got bur- I, got, I mean, it's not, that you, it's not that you develop like a hardness or like you, you make yourself tough. No, it's not that. I've just learned to process things more faster now. So no time to waste time. You know what, you know what, you know what God said to the prophet Samuel? When God rejected King Saul. Remember God said to to King Saul, I've stripped the kingdom away from you. You know what Samuel was doing? God And God said that through Samuel's mouth. He was a prophet. And taking the kingdom and giving it to David, a neighbor that was better than Samuel, than, 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 than Saul. The Bible says Samuel continued to pray for King Saul. Privately. God got fed up with him. God came to him and said to him, how long Will you mourn for Saul, see that I have rejected him as king? Right? And the prophet had to quickly come to his. A leader must never be governed by the soulishness of his emotions. Let me, let me say this correctly. You will always love people and you will always feel things strongly emotionally concerning them in your soul. But sometimes when certain decisions need to be made... You need to adopt the mind of the 
spirit, your spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, now to manage difficult, tense issues in, in regards to relationships. Otherwise, you start to function soulishly and not spiritually. You must always differentiate between making a spirit-informed decision versus a soul-driven decision. Right? A spirit... When I had to leave a particular context years ago, my soul was torn in two. I didn't know what, what I was doing was right. I knew I had heard God. So what did I do? I employed the mind of my spirit to ultimately make the decision. Because I could not trust the emotion of my soul to make the decision. If I used my emotions to drive the decision, I would have not have made the right decision. Because knowing myself, I'm an intensely emotional being. So I had to literally divorce myself from my emotional content and make a principled decision, not a passionate one. Because emotion and passion can mislead you. Okay? So irrespective of how I felt emotionally, I had to make a, a spirit-directed decision. Okay? A spirit-directed decision. So Paul says here, it's only right for me to feel this way about you because where does he have them? Come on, say it with me. Say, I have you where? I have you in my heart. That's where leaders have people, in their bosoms, in their heart. I carry you in my heart since both in my imprisonments and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are all partakers of grace with me. Let me give you some history here because, I mean, just quickly, we won't have time for all of this. The Philippian church was the only group that went from the province of Macedonia. Remember? The Macedonian call, Paul went down to Philippi, he met Lydia and a group of women praying. The Philippian church context was the only church in the New Testament who had an unbroken track record of support to the Apostle Paul. Everybody else waned. They came and they went. But this group, and he even says it, he says, both in my end, Imprisonment and defense, confirmation of the gospel, you have all been what? Partakers of grace. So grace filled this context. And then he says in the next verse, For God is my witness, how I long for you, with all the affection of Christ Jesus. This is a man in love with the people. He longs for them. He uses terms like it is only right for me to feel this way about you, Philippians. By virtue of how strongly you've supported. Right? It's only to that kind of people did he say, he who has begun a good work can you will perfect it. That's not a gentle statement for everybody. That's a gentle, that's a statement made to a particular caliber of persons in the persons of the Philippian context that were able to provide strong support to a, a, an apostolic father on a consistent basis. Why? The point I want to demonstrate from all of this is that Paul carried them in his heart. Now ask your neighbor, how big is your heart? Now God's going to do some open heart surgery here tonight. He's going to enlarge some hearts. Okay. Right? God's going to enlarge your heart. Okay? Let's get back to Moses. Get back to Moses. Look at verse 15 of Numbers 11. 
verse 15 of Numbers chapter 11. So Moses says to God, watch what he says to God. If you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at, at once. If I have found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. Everyone say wretchedness. The word wretchedness is the word ra. Easy, right? R-A, ra. Right? Everyone say ra. <laughs> Listen carefully to me as I bring this point home to you. There is potential for wretchedness in every leader. Every leader can come to a place called wretchedness and Moses did not want to go there. He said, I would rather be killed. I would rather die than go to a place where I'm classified as wretched or ra. So what does wretched or ra mean? It means bad, evil, or worse than. Bad, evil, or worse than. Listen carefully. It means to not make a standard or not make it up to a standard. It also means this, according to Spiros Zodiatis, a Greek scholar, he said, it means, listen carefully, to see oneself as producing an inferior quality. To see oneself as producing an inferior quality. Okay? So, listen carefully. What was he saying when he says, do not let me see my wretchedness? He was saying, you God, you have standards. You have divine expectations for your men, your leaders to, to function. The standard is up here, God. He's saying, I'm just reading his mind. The standard's so high, God. He says, I can't get there. Can't be the leader you want me to be. I constantly fall below the, the standard of your expectation for me to function as your representative leader. Right? Right now I'm feeling wretched. Rather kill me. Don't let me see this. I'm constantly falling below the divine expectation. Okay? Now I wrote here, I paraphrase. I want to read it to you lest I don't relate correctly. This is essentially what Moses is saying. He's saying he's crying to God. Before I read this, this was my fear for many years. I said, God, I'm afraid I will not make the grade as a leader. The task of leadership is far too important. It's far too serious. It's there's accountability, there's responsibility. I must give an account for the souls of people one day before you. Too much pressure, God. Too much pressure. I don't mind being an ordinary member. Put me in the back of the church then. I'll put somebody else. I'll support the guy 110%. As long as at the end of the day he's accountable, not me. But I don't mind, I don't mind second tier. I will support anything. Right? And what the Lord said to me, I'll never forget this thought. The Lord said to me, yeah. But I want you where I want you. <laughs> we don't, I didn't enlist for this. I don't think, Charles, you applied for this position. I think given, Amos, we would resign tomorrow knowing the gravity of what we're dealing with. Not so. It's a serious thing. And I've come to the place many times where I had to come to terms 
with my own wretchedness. It's like this is too much in me going against me that will render me unable to make the grade. Um, I don't attain to the standard. I fall below the mark. This is what I wrote. This is this paraphrased in contemporary terms. This is what I think what Moses was saying to God. He's saying, I cannot do this job alone. If you do not help me in some way, rather kill me. Because I don't want to see the end of this process of my leading alone. The result of which will be an inferior standard and quality to that which you expect. That's the cry of Moses. I don't. His cry was, help me. His realization was, the standard is there. And it dawned upon him as a revelation. Wow. Your standard is high. No single man can do it. So you've got to help me by giving me a... So what was God's solution? Choose, choose 70 men. Now, please, I want to just focus on this. Can we have about 20 minutes? Yeah? Yeah, okay. Time is gone, yeah. Number 16, number 16, numbers 11, verse 16. Okay, watch this. The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men. This is God's answer to his wretchedness. This is God's solution to the sense of a leader that cannot make the divine standard. God says, Gather to me, or for me, 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and the officers. And bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand with you there. Verse 17. I will come down and I will speak with you there. I will take the spirit that's on you. I will put the spirit on them. They will bear the burden of the people with you so that you do not bear it alone. That's God's answer to Moses' wretchedness. So, several points. Listen carefully. He is to gather 70 elders that he knows. Everyone say elders. elders. Now the word elders here is the Hebrew word zakwen, and it literally means aged, implying men with leadership capacity or ability, but not so much aged as in chronological age. Yes, it would imply that naturally, but spiritually or symbolically, it would be aged as in knowing ancient Paths, knowing the ways of God, knowing the ancient, eternal ways that is vested within the person of God. Remember in the book of First John, John says to three categories of people. He writes to fathers, he writes to young men, and he writes to children. And he said to the fathers, I write to you fathers... Because you have known him which was from the beginning. I write unto you strong young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in, in you. But he addressed the fathers. He says, you fathers have known him which is from the beginning. So obviously the men that Moses would choose, or not just any men, they would be men that had an, a revelation of the nature of God and the ways of God. Okay? Now that's an essential requirement for eldership in a local church. 
Okay? In other words, you are not only works-centered, you are ways-focused. The Bible says that Israel knew God's works, but Moses knew God's ways. Right? It's like you're not impressed when God does something major. Like other people go, oh, glory, hallelujah, woo, hallelujah, right? Wow, the miraculous. There's a different caliber of person that rejoices in that moment, but takes a step back and says, what can I learn of the ways of God through the works of God? I won't glorify the works without letting the works lead me to understand who he is. So everyone say an intelligence. Moses is to choose men. That will not freak out when water flows from a rock. <laughs> there's, a, there's a caliber of men around him that must not be miracle-centered, works-focused. Yes, they will enjoy all of that, but they must know the God that produces all of these things. Right? Zach, everyone say Zakwin. Those who know God internally, the ways of God, not just the external works or the doings of the Lord. So, I'm going to say this phrase over and over again. He is to gather 70 elders that he knows. Everyone say elders. Right? Elders that know the ancient parts. He is to gather. Everyone say gather. God said to him specifically, you gather 70 elders that you know. Right? Now the word gather here is asaf or asaf. Asaph, one of the psalmists that wrote many of the psalms together with David, Asaph, the same word is used here. The word Asaph is a collector or the gatherer of the, of, of the people. It literally means to assemble. What must Moses do? Gather the people. So 70. Will this happen without Moses' doing it? Are the guys going to just come out, God's going to speak to them, and they're going to show up? No. Moses must get up from his prayer now, engage in God. Don't let me see my wretchedness. God gives him a solution. Now he must go to more than a million people and choose 70, right? <laughs> right. So he says, God said, no, you bring them to where you are. You pick, 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 and you gather them. Gathering is a very deliberate process, something God's been speaking to me about. It's an activity I need to gauge in more vociferously this year. I'm going to gather like-minded sons on a more consistent basis. Let me just say there's going to be no impartation unless there's a gathering. Gathering implies deliberate meeting times together. Your heart will never be their heart unless they spend time with you. Timothy must engage Paul to have the heart of Paul. There must be times of impartation. The Bible says in the book of Mark that Jesus chose the twelve. In what order? It says to be with him that they might preach. Not to preach. First. To be with him that they might preach. Um, association, gathering is a very, and spending time with the set man if you are going, and especially those that are second-tier leaders at any level in this local church, it's going to be very important that Charles and Renee gather you 
to spend time of, of greater impartation. Then he is to choose, he is to gather 70. Everyone say 70. 70. To gather 70 elders that he knows. The word 70 is huge in terms of its symbolic application in Scripture. But basically, it, uh, many people agree, the word 70 implies global mentality. Corporate thinking. Big thinking. Okay? 70 people left Egypt. Not Egypt, Israel, uh, Canaan, that came down with Joseph or with, with Jacob when Joseph requested that they come down. Remember? After reconciliation with the brothers. And that 70 formed the nucleus of what would then become the entire nation of, of Israel. Right? When the, um, the nations of the earth are referenced in the book of Genesis in chapter 10, 70 nations are referenced. So whenever you see the number 70, you think global, you think big. Anybody that's going to function as a supportive leader must not have a small mind. You've got to think like 70. You've got to be broad-minded. You've got to think corporately. You've got to think of the macro purposes of God and not your own personal private issues. In fact, you deal with things privately because you prioritize the corporate purpose. Do you know who had this mindset? Joseph. Did Joseph forgive his brothers? Do you know why he easily forgave them? You know what his mindset was? You sold me, but God sent me. Your selling was God sending. I forgive you privately because I'm concerned about the macro plan of God attendant with all of these relationships. I don't want to abort what God is doing corporately. I will never hold a grudge privately because I am concerned that God's corporate process and purpose be accomplished. You will never understand from a leadership perspective how personal issues between people in a corporate group can hinder the whole group's momentum forward. Especially leaders then that function in leadership, supportive leadership structures or, or positions should themselves be able to quickly deal with personal private issues. Because their mindset is we're pushing a corporate process. Right? Everyone say think big. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10 verse 1, Jesus said, he appointed the 70 and he sent them out in pairs to every place where he himself was going to come. Look at this verse. How did he send? Jesus chose 70 as well, not so? This thing about 70 is like in the New and in the Old Testament, right? Jesus is very wise. He says, I'm going to choose 70 and I will send them out in. What does the word to mean? Imply. Agreement. Right? Everyone say agreements. So the 70 company, the 70 company is a company. I'm talking about, when I say the 70 company, I'm talking about a person with a particular mentality. He's corporate. He deals with private issues to facilitate corporate purpose. Secondly, he's an agreeing person. He's not dissonant. He's consonant. He, he, he's not divisive. Because Jesus sent them out in pairs. And Amos 3, <laughs> verse 3, says, Can two walk together unless they agree? So in sending them out in two, Jesus is saying to the 70, this whole group must function in the spirit of agreement. Right? 
um, schism, division, backbiting, catching and fetching, carrying stories, all of that should not be the mindset of those that choose to enlist as supportive leaders. Okay? Very, very important. And it says, the Bible says, he chose 70, he sent them out in pairs to every city and place where so he sends them ahead. No, you go first. <laughs> I'm coming later. Right? In other words, these guys know how to prepare the way. Like John the Baptist, a preparer of the, of the way. Right? They always, so the 70s mindset is this. We are going because he's coming. We have no agenda of our own to make a name for ourselves. All our efforts are, are so that the Christ can come in. Right? The Christ can come in. Okay? The Christ can come in. If you look at Luke 10, same chapter, verse 17, if you drop down a few verses, the Bible says, 70 returned with great joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In other words, in your name means as we function representatively in all that you represent, demons bow. Yeah? Because of our representation of you. I can't tell you what blessing I've entered into in my travels, when I don't travel as Randolph Barnwell, but when I travel as a son of Pastor Thamon, I do. I don't come in my own name, but there's grace conferred and results given, not because of me, but because of what I've chosen to represent. Tell someone, die. <laughs> tell them, die successfully. When I say die successfully, what I mean is this, brethren, what I mean is die to your own selfish will. Die to your own selfish ambition. If the 70 company is to be sent, they are not sent to build their own thing. They are sent to represent another, which is Christ. Okay? Then he is to choose 70. God said to him, gather. Everyone say Gather. Gather 70 elders that you know to be elders. Everyone say that you know. The word know here is yada, which means strong relationship. Right? It's not, okay, a couple of hundreds and thousands of Israelites, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Okay, you come, bro, you. Okay, you come. No, 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 you come. He had to know them to choose them. Yeah? Just gather 70 that, that you know to be elders of the people. Okay? So you have to know people um, relationally, intimately, particularly before you put them into key positions of responsibility. Don't appoint someone you don't know. Because then you'll never know a lot of things. <laughs> yeah? Books of time, let me carry on. Look at uh, uh, the, the imports. If you go back to verse 17, I think it is. What God said to Moses at the last part of verse 16. The last part of verse 16. I like this part. What must you do to them? Take them to the tent of meeting. Okay? The tent of meeting was where I meet with Moses. God meets with Moses to talk to Moses. So take them there. And watch this. Let them do what? 
take their stand with you where? There. Everyone say there. Ask your neighbor, where is there? <laughs> the there here is the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, where God came down in a glory cloud and the Bible says, spoke with Moses. So God says, where I meet with you, that place. Yeah, take them there. Don't take them on some camp. I want to meet them where I meet you. If they can stand where you stand, they will get what you got. Listen carefully. If they, are, if they have got the capacity to stand with you where I meet you, they will get what you got. Everyone say, stand where your leader stands. The easiest way practically to do this is to follow his teachings. This can be abstract doctrine, principles. I can stand where my spiritual father stands, where God talks to him, by listening carefully to his teachings and his sermons, and pitch into how God talks to him, by listening to the words of his doctrine. That is how I stand where he stands. Don't think, let me just say this, don't think because you are at every meeting. I'm not talking about a physical presence. Because some people can be physically here, but spiritually you are standing on another planet. Right? It's not about, you see, faithfulness is not measured by physical representation. We need that. Please don't now not come to next week and say, I'm standing. No, 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 no. No, don't, don't think like that. No, I'm not saying that. We still need you here. A lot of people say, oh, pastor, I wasn't there, but I was there in spirit. No, that means you did. Because the spirit without your body, you are dead. We don't want to see your spirit, we want to see your body here. All I'm appealing to you, stand in the same spiritual place in your mind. And I think this will most practically express itself by your keen observation of his doctrine. Now, look at, let's, let's read this again. Look at verse 17. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take the spirit which is on you, and I will put it on them. They will bear the burden of the people with you. This is the outcome that we want. The outcome is, they will bear the burden of the people. How are we going to get people to bear the burden that we carry as leaders with us? What is the process? You know, I like this. The key here, I think, in this verse is, what do you think the key here is? Okay, what do you think? Who said something? This, the Spirit of Moses is put on them, but how will that happen? What, what must they see? What do you think? Look at the verse carefully. Look at the verse carefully. Let's read it slowly. I will come down. I will speak with you. Am I going to talk to them? No. Who am I talking to? I'm not, they just come and observe what we do. Let them see what you and I do all the time, right? God is saying, let them in on a secret yet. If they, watch, the key here for me is, if they can see how I talk to you, the spirit on you can be on them. If you can observe 
with spiritual eyes the process of the transfer of words from God to your leader, you have to stand where he's standing firstly, right? But if you can see the flow of thought and the flow of words from God to him, the spirit on him can rest on you. The only requirement God said here is, there's nothing much we're going to do. Don't lay hands on anybody. If this was a Pentecostal meeting, wow. Hey, there'll be oil, there'll be, there'll be shofars, there'll be laying on of hands. God said, they're going to get something in a most unique way. All I need them to observe is how I communicate with you, Moses. Stand, let them stand where I meet with you. I'll do nothing. All I will do is like God is saying, Moses, Moses, come here before they come. Right? Let them. God is saying, let's ignore them. <laughs> I just talk to you, let them see it. Right? That's all we need you to do, Moses. If they can witness that, Moses, they got what you got. That's the process. You know, ever since Pastor Tom was taught this, taught this, like I said, like almost 16 years ago, he taught this. I determined from that day onwards, like Ruth said to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. I will not let a sermon of yours go by without me hearing it. Every single Monday, I practice it. My first priority when I get back tomorrow. By Monday evening, I will know what he preached today at his home church in Santa. What am I doing? I'm wanting to see how God talks to him. If I can observe that in my spirit, this is only done by tracking doctrine, by tracking the word, by listening intently. I can't explain how this works. All I know is that the spirit in measure, that in part by which he functions, becomes my experience. If I can stand where he stands and simply observe the speaking of the Lord to him. That is why I'm glad you guys came out tonight. The fact that you are here tonight shows me you are far more serious than most. Yeah? And let me just say this. You can function as your leader functions. You know that the Bible says, I will take the spirit that is on you and transfer it to them. Now when that happens, it doesn't mean Moses got less spirit. He's not losing anything. I don't know how the, you know, the spirit realm works in a totally different economy. Where transfers happen without diminishing the person from which it flows. Right? And the spirit comes upon the 70 as they speak. The word speak here is daba. Everyone say daba. I said, I will speak with you. Daba or you, also dava. You can say dava. D-H-A-V-A-R. Daba or dava. Right? It literally means to communicate or to utter or to converse. God says, that's all I'm going to do, Moses. This process of transfer. What is the issue? The issue is, okay, you don't want to see your wretchedness. No problem. I will not let you see your wretchedness. You want help. You want others to stand with you. No problem. You know, we've tried so many things for many years eh, to get good supportive leaders. I think we must get back to biblical order. If you get back to biblical order, the order is this. Allow your leaders to see how God speaks with you. 
gather them unto yourself. Elders, 70, global mentality that knows the ways of the Lord. Let them stand where you stand. See, let them into how I speak with you. And I will take the spirit that is on you and I will transfer it to, to them. I won't have time to read the rest of this because of time. I gave you a son. At least you can give me 10 minutes. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> That's a good trade-off, right? <laughs> if you want the other son, I'm here the whole night. <laughs> Amen. I could prophesy right now concerning these things, but I will restrain myself. Any case, um, lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, I wouldn't have time to read the rest, but let me just paraphrase. The rest of the story goes like this. So what happens is they see God talk to Moses. And the Bible says, and God took the spirit that was on Moses, and he put it on the 70. Now you've got 71 Moseses. Because <laughs> Moses has replicated and reproduced himself in a substitutionary representative fashion in 70 others. Now, guess what? The load is lightened. There are now 70 other more shouldering the work and the responsibility. Right? He's not doing it alone. The success of his ministry lies in this process of gathering men unto himself. The story goes like this. There's, in fact, it, it's, the Bible says, if you read the last verse there, uh, which, what was the last verse we read? The last verse was 25 that we read up to. It says, The Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him, and he took the Spirit which was on him and placed it upon the 70. And when the Spirit rested upon them, they, they prophesied, but they did not do it. Again, a sad note here. The way the story goes is, Moses left the tent of meeting and he goes. And then all of them started to go into the community and to function as Moses would, would do. There were two elders, and their names are mentioned, Eldad and Medad, I think it was. The Bible says they stayed there. Even Moses gone, but these two guys decided to stay. They wanted to stay in the place in which they got the transfer. And the Bible says they continued prophesying nonstop. Joshua, Moses' immediate son and aide, gets envious of them. And Joshua runs to Moses and said, hey, Hell dead and me that are still carrying on in the tent. They're prophesying, and they're prophesying just like you. Moses says to Joshua, Are you envious for my sake? And Moses makes this profound statement. He said, I wish not only they, but that all of God's people were prophets, and that God put his word and his spirit in all of them. So God, Moses said to Joshua, leave them. That's what I want. But the others did not do it again, listen carefully, because they could not come to that place again. I want to encourage you, maintain that consistency. Who's serious tonight, okay? Come on, I want to see your hands. Whoever your leader is to whom you're directly responsible, I'm going to say, I want to, I want to ask you, seek to provide strong support 
but you seek to provide strong support first from a spiritual position. Have the heart that he has, the spirit that he has, the priority that he has. You can make his hands lighter and the burden that he has lighter by sharing the burden with him. But to do that effectively, you have to have the spirit that he has. To get the spirit that he has, you have to see how God speaks to him, stand where he's able to stand. You have to be an elder. You have to be not necessarily a church elder, as we know church eldership. I'm talking about one that knows, that seeks to know the ways of God, not just the, the works of God, the ancient paths um, in God. You need to be a 70 person, global, a global thinker. A dealer with private personal issues quickly so as not to abort a corporate process afoot uh, in the church. You need to be one that gathers unto your leader, uh, comes regularly. You need to be one that tracks the word. And I'm telling you, when you do this, the Lord will sovereignly put something within your heart. The Lord's just reminding me of a scripture here. Go to 2 Corinthians I promise you, this is the last scripture without me sending Liam anywhere. Second Corinthians, chapter 8, and verse 16. This is this lovely scripture to end off the session with. Um, the Bible says, this is Paul concerning his son Titus, right? Remember Paul sent Titus to the Corinthian context to fix up the problem of their lack of giving. Paul said, when he comes, he will complete the grace of giving in you. This is what Paul said to them. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnestness on your behalf, where? In the heart of Titus. God says concerning when Titus comes to the Corinthians, God says, I had to deal with his heart. My son, my spiritual father, I had to deal with his heart. But God sovereignly did some open-heart surgery on Titus. God put the care that Paul had for the Corinthians into the heart of Titus. So Paul, Titus functions with the same care that Paul has for the Corinthians. Therefore, Paul could send him to them to fix up a particular problem. Amen? I want to encourage you. Let me encourage you, church. This message changed my life. You know, as you journey in Christ, there's like those key messages that I'm sure you have a few in your life that you track where signature moments that just forever indelibly marked you. This was one of them. I would safely say much of my development came from my observance of the principles I've just taught you. Open your eyes, open your heart to receive this revelation and come to a new place of functionality in Christ that will forever change, bless, and impact your life. Amen? Amen. Are you going to become the 70? Amen. Amen? In whatever role, in whatever level, in whatever representation, you just say, I want to be a supportive person. Amen? Stand with me, let's pray.